Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be continuing together in Walk This Way, and we're talking today, and remember in this whole series, Paul, he's addressing false teachers He's addressing this, uh, this, these teachers that they've infiltrated this new church plant. And uh, I believe the Apostle Paul had some hockey tears for the family around where he cared about them, where he, he loved the, the body of Christ, the family of God so much that he worked hard to do this. And we, we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, the scriptures are going to be up there, but if you have your Bible or your app, I encourage you to follow along. And Paul, today, as we wrap this series up, He's talking about the importance of family. 1 Timothy 5, verse 1, it says, Never speak harshly to an older man. Amen? But appeal to all the old men with you. (laughs) But appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women, there's no older women here, but treat older women as you would your mother. Treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. And then he says, take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. And there's so many things we could dive into this. And I've dove into the scripture before about how we care for one another and the responsibility of the church, all those things. But one of the big takeaways, one of the big things as I was praying through it this week, one of the things that the Lord and, and the, the Holy Spirit just really pulled out to me is how much the Bible talks about family. See, family is who we are. As members of the body of Christ, as people who follow Jesus, we've surrendered our life to him. This is who we are. I mean, scripture from the beginning to end, it refers to the body of Christ, those who've given their life to God as family. I mean, family, it's one of the key analogies, and it's the way that God shows who we are. Even from creation, God, he set up the family with, with man and woman, husband and wife, father and mother, and we even we see this order Uh, being carried throughout creation. I mean, every creature, great and small, has this family structure. I mean, one of the things that we love, we have this bird box by our door, and every year I love seeing the birds come back. I even put a latch on the top so I can look up and go, hey, how we doing in there? You know, as they're starting their new family and giving them the privacy they deserve, but I love when I see the new new chicks and all that kind of stuff happening because family is who we are. And here, Paul, he's instructing Timothy on the importance of family and how we relate to each other. Now, bear in mind, 1 Timothy is a very direct book. Paul, he's not mincing words. He gets right to the fact. He's not flowering it up. He's, not, he's just he's getting right to it. And his purpose of this letter is addressing the false teaching and protecting them. So why is Paul talking about family in this context? Why, why is he, and all the things that he could say addressing this, and we're coming to the end of this letter, why is he talking about family and using all this family analogy? Well, here's why. Healthy families protect us. When the family is healthy, the body of Christ, it protects us. See, the family has been set up as a safe place for children to grow and for them to develop. I mean, your first relationships as a child 
were within your family, your mom, your dad. Uh, I'm the last of eight siblings. You know, they tell me that, that means I'm spoiled. I said, no, that means you were practiced for my mom and dad. But see, this is where we first experienced, we were meant to first experience love. Our first provision was in family. My family provided for me. This, this, this is where we were fed, we were clothed, we were meant to be sheltered. Everything that we needed for survival was provided by the family. I mean, our first training was in the family, the things that we learned. You know, I learned how to walk, I learned how to talk, I learned how to treat others by saying, Dwayne, don't do that. You know, this, we, I, we, we were shaped and we, we received this instruction. We even picked up skills from our family. My dad was into music, so I learned music. My dad was into hunting and fishing, so I was into hunting and fishing. My dad loved the outdoors. I mean, I learned how to ride a bike. I learned how to cook. You know, I learned how to clean. My dad, believe it or not, loved the vacuum. He was a vacuum salesman. And one of my, one of my things that I love to do, I love vacuuming. I love seeing the straight little lines. You know, dusting, terrible. N- nothing looks dusty to me, but vacuuming is a love language of mine. So you can draw a direct line from the things that I like, the way that I am, between me and my family. You can see it, the correlation, and I'm sure that you can as well. And here's why. In the family as well, this, this, this is where I learned about God. This is where we we're meant to learn about God, the most important thing about us. We see this in Deuteronomy 6 and 11. It tells us the importance of parents teaching their children about God when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And it says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. And then verse 7, it says this, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is all happening within the structure of a family. Because family is essential in the growth and development of a child. I mean, I haven't told you anything new yet, have I? Right, All this you're going, I'm glad I showed up today. This is, of course. But we need to be reminded of them over and over because the family is essential in the growth. When a family is unhealthy, the child is vulnerable and is at risk of never growing up, remaining immature or even broken in areas of their lives. We know this to be true. That's why the, the, the family structure is so important. There's so much brokenness. And, it's, and I think it's intentional how the enemy has attacked the family at its core, because with the family is unhealthy, the child and everyone around that child is vulnerable. It runs the risk of never growing up. And one of the key signs of this immaturity is in the area of our emotions. When you look at the writings of Paul, when you look at the teachings through Scripture, so many of the problems that the Apostle Paul faced, as well as so many leaders, but especially in the, in the early church, was in the area of people being led by their emotions. I get so emotional, baby. Right? We, just, we, we get out of control. We want to lean into it. We wanna, we, we, it's that surrendering to the flesh inside of us. And as a result, it Result in being unstable. It resulted in being what Paul talked about, being driven by any teaching that appeals to the emotion and to these selfish desires inside of us that is rooted, it's rooted in sin because we never grew up. There's this immature nature that was meant to be cultivated in the family. But that wasn't only true 2,000 years ago in the early church. 
The same is true today. You know, one of the books that I've been reading, that I've been enjoying, that I've mentioned a few, several times, is a book by John Eldry is called Resilience. You know, after, after going through COVID and everything, I, th- I think I read every book on resilience and strength that I could find. And, and I love what he writes on this. He says, John Eldridge writes, he says, you cannot let your emotions drive the bus. Years in the comfort culture made us emotionally soft. If we don't feel like doing something, we don't do it. If we don't feel like be, believing something, we don't believe it. Folks like to call this authenticity but really, it's just adolescence. See, adolescence is an important part of our life. When you read about this time period, doctors and psychologists, they describe this adolescent time as, as a vital period that will determine how a person will view and interact with the world as an adult. That's why this, this adolescent period, it's a critical link between childhood and adulthood. This is where so much of who we are is formed, right? What, what we believe about the world, what we believe about ourselves is formed, what we believe about God, who we can trust, our sense of self-worth. A lot of this is established during these adolescent years. And the, but the adolescent years are so difficult and so challenging. How many remember your adolescent years, right? Junior high. Junior high. Yeah, I know. Not trying to trigger a trauma moment for you right now. But these can be tough, tough years. But they're so difficult because this is a season of great change. When you're going through adolescence, you're, you're thrown into this big pool with everybody who everything is changing, right? Your bodies are changing. Your voice is dropping. But before it does that, it spikes up here and it cracks a little bit as you're going through, you know? Um, you know, some of your friends are start, starting, starting to grow a mustache, and some, and some of your friends are like, why aren't you growing a mustache? And some people don't want to grow a mustache. I mean, there's all these things that are happening with the emotions, with everything going on. But something I, that I want us to hone in on a little bit is that it's the truth that any time there is great change happening in our life, there is also great pain happening in our life. Isn't that true? You cannot change without pain. Another book I've been reading is a book by Samuel Chan called Leadership Pain. And he explains this principle through the equation. How many lovers of math do we have out there? You're like, math is your love language, all right? You're going to love this. And here's the equation that Samuel Chan puts up. He puts that growth equals change. And change equals loss. Loss equals pain. Thus, growth equals pain. See, if, if we're going to grow, we need to change. Something about me needs to change if I'm going to grow. If I don't change, I'm going to stay the way I am. So I, I want to grow, so I need to change. And if I'm going to change, that means I'm going to lose something. There's going to be some loss or some stuff i got to let go of. And when we let go, when there's loss, there's, there's pain, isn't it? So in other words, growth equals pain. In other words, the amount of our growth is directly correlated to the amount of pain that we are able to endure. So if we want to have great change in our life, we need to be willing to endure great pain. Amen? Are you excited about that? I think this is why Jesus, Jesus talked a lot about pain and frequently to his disciples. I mean, you want to talk about discipleship class. He's like, all right, guys, we're going to talk about pain again today. 
And so much that he kept talking to them. Remember in Deuteronomy where, where it says to speak to them again, again and again and again to your children? This is how Jesus was discipling again and again and again. He told his disciples, do not be surprised when you endure pain. See, that's why we're not shielded from pain and why our goal as parents is not to eliminate all pain from our children's lives because what Jesus is saying is that you need to grow, you need to develop strength, you need to develop endurance, but in order to have that change, there is pain that accompanies it. Pain and struggle, it is a part of a healthy process of growing up. It's pain that enables us to pull back from a hot flame. Pain can be very protective in our lives. And in order for us to live healthy lives, though, in order for us to grow up and to mature, we need to know how to handle pain. It's inevitable. We're all going to experience it. Jesus said, don't be surprised by it. So we need to know how to deal with it. But it's tough. And so many fail at this because I believe they, they often try to do it on their own because a lack of being able to cope with the pain can, can lead you to some very unhealthy places. Right? I mean, we all know about, you know, drugs, sex, rock and roll, all those kind of things. For me, it's the bottom of a potato chip bag, you know, whatever that is. There's all the things that we lean into or, or binging, just trying to ignore. I mean, history is filled with painful stories of people who struggle with this because they were alone. They were alone either by choice, they just backed away, or they were alone sometimes because of abuse. They were isolated. They were forced into this seclusion, they were abandoned. I mean, our, our news stories are filled with stories after stories, heartbreaking stories of people who, by being alone, they just couldn't take it anymore, and they end up lashing out at themselves or at other people. I mean, it's this great problem of pain. So how do we respond to this? I mean, Jesus, he's not just going to bring something out and say, you know, don't be surprised when you're in pain, so good luck. Here's a bag of chips. No, he's, not, he's saying, no, as Christ follower, as men and women filled with the power of God, he's, he's, Paul is giving us direction, and he's shining a light on something here, and he's saying that this is how we respond, and how we respond is we respond as family. One of the big advantages of the body of Christ coming together is that no matter who you are, where you are, if you've been alone because you've been abused or abandoned or because you've chosen it, you have an opportunity to be a part of the greatest family ever, the family of God. See, God in his great love and his mercy, he created us to operate and to flourish as a family. But in a world that's been so attacked and so hurt by the attacks of Satan, God has created a place where, where the fatherless, where the motherless, where those without aunts, those without uncles, those without sisters or brothers, we can all come together and we can find the love of Christ as a living community, the church, the family of God. This is one of the key purposes why God has created it. Because no matter where you are, you maybe have come from a broken family today. You can find whole and healing here. Or you may be like me. I have a wonderful family. My mom turned 92 yesterday. Amen. My dad will turn 95 this year, and he's still sharp as a pin, can tell you everything. He talks about how he's going through a tough time, but he wakes up in the middle of the night, gets in his chair, and he said, Jesus sits next to me as literally and strong as anybody else. He said, the older I get, the more I see him. Great dad. 
but I'm separated by over 3,000 miles from him. Do you know what I'm so thankful for? I love my family, but I have all of you. Surprise. <laughs> I have the body of Christ, the church. Now, even though I love my mom, my dad, my sisters, is any family perfect? No. You ever been hurt by a brother or a sister? You ever, you're like, oh yeah, I got to, you're like, yes. Again, not trying to do any triggers here today. The body of Christ is not perfect because I'm here. The body of Christ is filled with love because Jesus is here and we focused our lives on him and we're walking that way. See, it's in this context. It's in the body of Christ. It's in the family of God. This is where we grow together. It's where we experience the love of God together. It's where we support each other so that we can grow through pain because we're going to have pain, but we need each other. See, this is what Paul wrote about in his, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, his other letter to the same church plant. He wrote them, he, he said to them in Ephesians chapter four, he said, then we, we, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. He said, instead, we will speak the truth, but we're going to speak it in love. We're going to be growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And he says he makes the whole body fit together. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing full in love. This is what Paul's talking about. He's saying in order to combat the false teaching and the resulting, the hurts that are occurring in this community, Paul doesn't tell them to abandon the church. He's not saying, this is a tough place. There's false teaching here. There's people here that are not so nice. So jump ship all you can. Go do something else. Find it. Don't come here. No, Paul's saying, you need to fight for the church. You need to take a stand for the church. You need to reclaim the gift that God has given you. I'm not going to throw away my family because they looked at me weird or because they said something weird or because they don't like Canadians. No, I'm going to stand. I'm going to fight for it. And we're, together, we're going to be better and we're going to be stronger because Jesus is here. And as long as he's here, there's healing that can take place. There's restoration that can take place. There's nothing that our God can't do, but we need to be together. He's called us to be together. This is not an individual walk. And so Paul, he's looking at this church, and instead of scratching it and kicking it to the side, he's saying, no, we're going to be together. We're going to figure this out. We're going to walk it together. If you've offended somebody, you're going to ask forgiveness, and you're going to forgive your brothers and sisters. I've seen so many families experience healing, break generations of dysfunction, generations of abuse by taking their family, putting Jesus in the middle, and saying, Jesus, help us walk through is it a hard walk? Yes. Is it a painful walk? Yes. Is there times when you got to take a walk around the block? I have a great family, but there's times Steph is like, you need to go for a long two-mile run right now. <laughs> right? That's healthy. That's healthy. But it all happens within the family, wherever you are. This is not a guilt trip. This is an invitation that wherever you are, whatever level of dysfunction, brokenness, whatever, there is hope. And God's saying, you got to come together. This is what Paul's talking about. In this very short section, he's saying treat each other like family. And he's using two key words here, two key words that Paul uses. He uses the word honor and he uses the word care. Honor and care. 
He's saying this is how we function. Because see, when we talk about honor, we're talking about we're fixing a value on it. We're saying that this is valuable. This is a prize. This is to revere. See, Jesus, he talked a lot about honor. And when he talked about it, he referenced it in Matthew 15, 4, as a direct command from God saying, honor your father and mother. And I think it's interesting because when Jesus referenced this, Jesus was referencing the fifth commandment. Remember the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments, bedrock of every functioning society that is healthy and safe to go through. And I think it's really interesting because when you look at the fifth commandment, this is a bridge commandment between the first half. The first half talks about God, right? And then the second half talks about how we treat each other. And right in the middle of this, we have honor your father and your mother. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Yes. You don't have to say yes. makes me feel like I'm not alone. <laughs> it's right here in the middle. It is a bridge. It's a connector. And Jesus went even further in his teaching by saying that how we treat our parents reveals the true character of our hearts. See, this is a word, when Jesus is saying this, when he's talking about this fifth commandment of honor your your mother and father, he was addressing this to the Pharisees in Matthew 15. Remember the Pharisees, right? These are the people who said, they know what to do, but don't follow them because they're not doing it. They're just, they're whitewashed tombs. And here in Matthew 15, Jesus is pulling something out that the Pharisees, see, there was the law of God, but they like to add more laws. They like to add more things. Do you know people like that? Have you walked in situations like that? And they were adding rules to where they had developed some workarounds to not honoring their mom and dad all the time. Right? That's, I did that all the time when I was in third grade. Do I really have to follow them? Did dad really say that? Oh, I, I, the dad, I, I didn't hear my dad. But they had these rules to go around it. And here's what Jesus said. That in their effort to honor their parents when it would benefit them, Jesus, he rebuked them, and he called them hypocrites. And then he quoted Isaiah by saying, these people, these Pharisees, these ones that are trying to create workarounds to the law of God, that fifth commandment right in the middle that we know about, he's like, these people, they're hypocrites. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And then he says, in vain do they worship me. They're going through the motions But he's tying this to this principle. See, this command, honoring your parents, is so important because it sets up the rest of your life. It sets up the rest of your life. This is your first relationship in life is your parents. But it's also the first commandment with a promise. It says to honor your father and your mother so that things will go well for you, so that you'll have a long life. This is the promise. And it's not honor them if they're good, honor them if they do everything right, honor them. If there's a parent here that's done everything right, raise your hand. Parenting is on-the-job training. Right? The further I go, the better I get. I think I need to have 30 more kids to get there, but I'm done. I got a dog now. But here's what he's saying in this. And here's what I've seen just just from people that I've known. I've seen that even people that they've had a dysfunctional 
broken parent that people that even like Father's Day is so tough for them because they had a tough dad. Even in that, when they found a way to, in their heart, some way to honor it, working with the Lord is very difficult. I've seen how God has brought about healing in their life. Now their dad may have continued down that bad, dark road and there was no reconciliation, but I've seen the healing that has taken place. See, there's a difference in forgiving somebody and being reconciled with somebody. Reconciliation takes two people. Both people coming together. But Jesus said that we can forgive our enemies, even people that are still out for us. This is a key place of healing. Tough? You bet. It's a pain that it's hard for those of us to understand if we haven't walked through it. I have a great dad. But even in the most difficult of times, when we do this, there's a healing that takes place because we honor. We honor. But we need help in it. The other word that Paul uses, how we respond to family, is care. And see, care helps us honor. I know that many of you, you've walked with people that this has been difficult. We're like, how do I honor someone who's hurt me so much? This is where the body of Christ comes in. This is where the father to the fatherless comes in and walks alongside of us. And in doing this, Paul, he's identifying a part of the family that has suffered loss. So he's talking about care, and he's talking about looking to people in the community that have suffered loss, and he, he hones in on the widows. He says in 1 Timothy 5, 3, he says, take care of any widow who has no one else to care for. See, a key biblical theme in the Bible is that the body of Christ has a responsibility to care for those who have no one to take care of them. He talks about if the widow has family, if they have children and grandchildren, that's their responsibility to come along. But for those that have no one to take care of them, it's our responsibility. And that's not just limited to widows. I mean, in James 1, it says pure and genuine religion in the sight of the God the Father means caring for who? Orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you means you're not willing to let any lies come in. And this is a place where the church has led the way. Here locally, Olive Crest, we're doing Thanksgiving baskets, and I'm hoping that we can do more and more and more and partner with them as they go through, helping foster kids in the middle of it. But when you look at the history of the church, when you look back through history, both internationally and locally, you will see that the humanitarian efforts, those who have run to the margins, has been led by the body of Christ, men and women filled with the power of God that were willing to go and do whatever it took so that they would be taken care of. Our hospitals in Seattle were founded by, by nuns who were doing it as their service to God. And we see that internationally. Convoy of Hope, one of our strategic partners, when they hear about a storm, they go before the church is even say we're going to give. We're going to go out in faith believing. God's going to provide. We need to be there. Missionaries on foreign lands who have started and established by, by helping local people. I know missionaries that go in where, where, where hunger and devastation has been there. They've, they've taught that local village how to do good farming practices. You take a bunch of people from Kansas and Texas and you put them in that part of the world, they'll show you how to build good soil. And it's all in the name of Jesus. Whether you believe in God or not, I am here to honor and care. This is what we do. You go to any disaster, 
And you will find men and women feel the power of God there to care. This is the response of love. And this is so important in how we function as the body of Christ that Paul even says that those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, he says they've denied the true faith. And then he says such people are worse than unbelievers. Why is that? Look back to Jesus' words about the Pharisees. He gave a lot of warnings about people who pretended to be one thing, pretended to be right with God. They set themselves up and they said, listen to me, but they didn't live it. They denied it and they tried to create rules around it so that they wouldn't have to do the uncomfortable things, the things that God calls us to, where they wouldn't have to deal with pain. He's saying, no, no, this is not the way. See, Paul is saying when you do this, not only are you rejecting the word of God, but you're misrepresenting God. You're confusing about who God is. See, Paul, he's using the strong language because he sees so much how the family was meant to protect. See, this family, our church, this is meant to be a place where everyone can find the love, the acceptance, the forgiveness, and the belonging that comes through Jesus Christ. I mean, I've seen this church love some people that were very difficult. They've loved me. I've seen people walk alongside people that have such brokenness where there was, the trust was gone. Anybody who was an authority figure was gone because authority figures often abuse their authority. And then they come into the body of Christ and we talk about God and we talk about these things and these are all trigger points. And I've seen many of you walk alongside and say, you know what? I'm going to walk with you in this. I'm going to walk with you in your pain. Even when that pain is reflected to me, I'm going to love you. I mean, how many of you, 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 you've experienced that kind of love from people? I know a lot of times we like to focus on, well, the hypocrites or this thing's happening, but I'm telling you, when the body of Christ is operating the way that God has called us to, there is nothing like it. It's established by God, built by God for change. So no matter where you are, if you're looking for a family, welcome home. If you're looking for all those things, welcome home. We welcome you. And just like any home, we've got our stuff. We've got our baggage. We've got our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. But in everything, we're going to bring it to Jesus. We're going to find healing together. And as I disciple you, you're going to disciple me. As I help you, you're going to help me. As we walk through this together, we're going to experience it. I've experienced church hurt. But I've also experienced the love of Jesus Christ poured through the body of Christ. Don't let the counterfeit keep you from the real thing. Fight for it. Lead the way. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, as we wrap this, this up today, I just want, want, want to invite you just, just where, where you are. Because here in a minute, we have a great tool that I'm, I'm going to use for feedback. But in this, before we, we do that, I want to just ask you a few of these questions that I hope you'll, you'll take now to heart, but also you'll, you'll take during the week. 
But just ask yourself, am I a part of, of the family? My prayer is that you would receive Jesus' invitation. If you haven't given your life to Christ today, that you would do that. That you would just say, Jesus, I believe that you're real. Forgive me of ignoring you of my sin. Fill my life. I give it to you in Jesus' name. That's your step to Jesus. But maybe for most of us here today, as it talks about the body of Christ, I know that I may have stepped on a few landmines today. You know, that first question is, where do I need to improve in honoring and caring for people in my family? Are, are there people in your family that, boy, it's, it's hard to honor and care for, whether it's your, your biological family or your spiritual family here today? Are there people at home? Are there people here? And you may have a lot of good reasons. If you, if you lawyered up, you would win. How do we need to move forward in honoring and caring? And this, this is for you, right? Jesus was very clear. Before you start looking at the speck in your brother's and sister's eye, what do we do first? We've got to haul the beam out of ours. What are some things we need to take care of today? Where am I struggling right now? Where am I experiencing pain? Wherever you're experiencing pain today, this is an opportunity for growth. Right? Growing. Your ability to grow is in direct correlation to how much pain can I handle? And the good news is you weren't meant to walk it alone. Some things are ripping a band-aid off. Some things take a longer path to healing. So identify your pain and identify where you need support in growing through that pain. Where do you need support? Maybe it's your group. Maybe it's getting with one of our pastors. Maybe you're going, you know, I need to get with a counselor. We just opened up a new counseling office here at our church. Wonderful Christian counselor loves the Lord. These are all tools. These are all parts of the body of Christ, all parts of the family. There's pain in my life. My mom just, just scrubbed it with a towel and picked the rocks out. And there's other things where it was a longer path. Where are you? But it starts by identifying it. Amen? Amen. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. In the midst of all of this, God, Lord, I pray for those of us that struggle, that we have people that we're asking, God, how do I honor? How do I care for them? Or maybe there's some that we're going, God, the need seems so great. I want to care for them. I, but I don't know how. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Show us. And God, I pray for those today that they're going through pain so deep, so difficult, that today may be the first time that they're willing to look at it, or for some, this may be something that they've been in. Speak to us, Lord. Show us. I pray for the family, the body of Christ. God, that we would surround, that you would show us how to walk with those in pain. God, you would show us how to confess when we're experiencing pain, that you would show us people that we can trust. People that we can trust, that we can walk with through this, I pray.
to the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Growth equals change. Change equals loss. Loss equals pain. So growth is that pain process. We're, we're committed. We're walking with you. We're walking with you. Amen. 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 Do your work, O Lord. This is our benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.